Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel, and I'm joined today with Sean Georges. Uh, Sean is a retired Marine. Is that right? Not not technically retired, so I did 13 years as a Marine officer, yeah. So a uh, veteran. He's also a retired executive with Shoe Carnival and uh, now has moved into a, a new role as executive director of the Evansville Wartime Museum and uh, definitely an expert on leadership and somebody I, I enjoy hearing speak about leadership. So I'm really thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Honored. Thank you. So if you would start, Sean, tell us a little bit about your background. As I mentioned earlier, when you get this old, that's a long story, but I'll keep it short. Uh, originally from Gibson County and uh, as a younger person decided I, I wanted to learn how to lead. I was just fascinated with this concept from history and whatnot. And uh, so I was drawn towards military service to serve and also to find out who I was as a leader. Uh, accepted uh, the opportunity to go to the Naval Academy and was at Annapolis from, gosh, I shouldn't say the dates, but uh, 1979 to 1983 at or from Annapolis, took a commission in the Marine Corps. And during the course of my 13 years on active duty in the Marines, I got to see the world and also uh, was selected for the the judge advocate program. So became a JAG in the Marines and uh, prosecutor, criminal defense, got another law degree through, uh, through the Marine Corps and uh, did operational law and law of war uh, and provided advice uh, to commanders along those lines. So le- left as a major. And then after that, did you go into private practice? Yes. Okay. Came back. So I'm originally from Gibson County between Mackey and Fort Branch. Came back to southern Indiana after I left active duty, joined a a local law firm for about private practice for about three years, desperately missed being a part of a team with a mission, Uh, found out about this opportunity at Shoe Carnival, of all places, in 1999. And um, Shoe Carnival, I knew they were a publicly traded company. I didn't know anything about shoes. Other than if your toes are sticking out, you need another pair. But I I knew something about building a team and maybe helping to support the creation of a performance-oriented culture. And evidently, that was enough uh, to convince them to bring me on. Spent 22 years at Shoe Carnival. And we grew from, perhaps despite my being there, grew from 100 stores to 400. And we were operating with about 6,000 employees, 35 states, plus we had opened up Puerto Rico. So it uh, was quite a ride. A lot of, lot of change over oh my. those years. Oh, my. Yes, yes. Tell us about your approach to leadership. Um, how would you describe that? Absolutely. Easy description for me. One of the things I began to get a grasp on when I – was commissioned in the Marine Corps was this concept of servant leadership. From day one at the basic school in Quantico, Virginia, where they they get six months to try to turn us into Marine Corps uh, officers and leaders, was this concept just like a drumbeat. Leaders eat last. Take care of your Marines first. Leaders eat last, take care of your Marines first, and on and on. I began to figure out that it wasn't about me being uh, having rank or title uh, from a leadership perspective. It wasn't about me knowing all the answers and, and somehow being perfect in performance. Or That's not what leadership is sort of connected to. 
It was about me as a leader. It was about me serving those, my, my teammates, in the direction of our mission. So mission alignment, mission focus, servant approach. Uh, one of the things I figured out very quickly in the Marine Corps is that you could be, you know, your technical skills and whatever your primary job responsibility, you could be the, you know, best pilot, the, the straightest shooter, the uh, most strategic thinker, the whatever those things were. If you could not, though, if you could not lead authentically as a servant in the direction of mission, you would fail as a Marine officer. And part of that was culture. Part of it is because that's, that's the real heart of the matter. And the interesting thing is that through my time in the Marine Corps and then after leaving the Marines, sort of testing that sort of servant leadership approach as a civilian now where you don't have rank and you're not wearing a uniform, nobody cares where you went to school or whether you did, and they want to know where are we going, why are we going there, and what's our relationship going to be like? And uh, so... I tested the servant leader model as a civilian lawyer. I tested it as senior vice president of HR and general counsel at Shoe Carnival for 22 years. And I'm now testing it in a nonprofit with uh, 120 volunteers at the Evansville Wartime Museum. And also it's something that you, how do you conduct yourself outside of the office? So it's that model has been subjected to testing in a variety of, uh, of situations and organizations, and it has proven its worth. Sure. That was a long answer to a question you probably did not ask. No, no, no. That's absolutely <laughs> what I was getting to. I think it's interesting because many people would assume, and I don't have a military background, but I think many people that don't have a military background might assume that it's more authoritarian. Yeah, that's and, interesting. And, you know, that it's barking orders, it's command and control. And I'd be curious if you talk about that approach, no. too. And interesting. No, that that's right. So the central question that I think a, a leader always has to ask themselves is this, and it's simple, not always easy. The simple question is this, what's my best and highest role to serve my teammates so that we can accomplish the mission. Now, sometimes the answer to that may be, in fact, follow me. Maybe my best and highest role is to lead from the front by example. Uh, oh, by the way, always by example, but lead from the front, follow me, and you take the hill. But what you find in the real world, just like real organizations, is that leadership and, and following and being a good teammate, those are all dynamic things that are happening within a team. And you can have a single situation where you have acts of leadership happening at the same time from various parts of the team, various teammates, regardless of rank. Somebody sees an opportunity, you know, there's a, a hole in the wire, let's drive through at this location. They're not going to stand there necessarily and wait for you to come up and issue the order and then they go. What you want, right, the best teams, and this is one of the things I learned in the Marines and, and absolutely saw in the civilian world, you want a team that is filled with people who who understand the real nature of leadership and can lead, can follow, can be a good teammate, all, all in this kind of dynamic. I sometimes refer to it as sort of the dance of leadership that happens on the best teams. If you've got just one leader that is, and everyone's standing around waiting for orders and clarity, guess what the limit of that team's capabilities are? That leader, that's it. That person's uh, imagination, that person's education, that person's grasp of the facts, their self-confidence or lack thereof, their knowledge of what's happening in the, 
you know, at that moment or in a larger uh, perspective, they are the absolute limit. When you get into the approach of leading as a servant, now you're in a place where you are both developing and supporting the entire team. You're looking for opportunities for them to take the lead at, at various times. You're always going to be responsible. So rank and title is really about I'm accountable, I'm responsible. That's fine. But we are all, so there's going to be shared responsibility for leadership. There's going to be all of those, and it becomes a whole different dynamic. That's when you get teams operating at their highest level. That's when individuals develop and you find ways to to get to know them, understand them, appreciate their potential. And then, you know, you're supporting and serving them and developing that potential. Now you've got something magical, and it's one of the most powerful forces on, on earth, not limited by your limitations, but in fact, the limits are, are probably not even scratched the surface. Right. That, that reminds me of uh, John Cotter had a book that came out maybe two years mm. ago called Change, mm-hmm. and he talks about how in this faster and faster changing world that the secret is more leadership from more leaders. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so, you know, there's sort of that, there, there can be a trap mm-hmm. of like the charismatic leader. Sure. Who everything is dependent on that one person. Absolutely. And, and that approach may have been effective in the past, and it's less likely to be effective moving forward. Yeah, and and I think it is always limited. It is always hamstrung, whatever the team is, because it's just the you know do the math. You know, it just it just does. It's so interesting. The the most recent commandant of the Marine Corps, the newest commandant, so that's the number one general in the Marine Corps, put out one of his first official uh, sort of uh, commandant guidance uh, papers specifically stated, without apology or explanation, Marine Corps leadership is servant leadership. Uh, Are there any questions? Now, you know, let's go from there. Now, that doesn't mean there's it's chaos, right? Part of what you've got to do is manage the effort and the energy and intensity. You know, it's interesting. Here I sit at this university, and and you mentioned the, the word strategy, and and we, we sometimes, boy, we, we manage to make leadership very complex. But I like to simplify things and think in terms of management responsibilities and leadership responsibilities. Management uh, is about resources. It's about things like, you know, payroll and, and uh, budgets and, and widgets and and KPIs and OQRs and all those things. But that's not about people. That's about things. The other side is, and, and it, some people say, well, which is more important? They're both important. Mm-hmm. You have to manage limited resources in the real world. You know, gravity hits all of us. And so, so but what we don't do a good, and I think in our country we're much more effective in developing managers because you can kind of lay it out. Here's a good course of study. These are some tools. Here's a software program. You know, KPIs and all of that stuff. But if that's all you've got, and you cannot lead, well, what happens when these human beings come into the picture? You know, you're gonna have a heart. And what happens in a lot of organizations? They try to do this. We've got our management, you know, our mission is clear, vision is clear, we've got our management principles, we know how to measure progress. Uh, oh, yeah, then there's the people and the leadership thing. Let's get HR involved. So they try to sort of people sort of outsource the leadership function to the human resources group, mm-hmm. which is absolutely, we all need to be able to lead our people, to train them, to to help them to learn from experience, provide feedback, develop potential, mm-hmm. you know, inspire, engage, build relationships. And so you get, get these really dysfunctional and underperforming 
organizations and teams. Mm, yeah. So we need to do better on the leadership development side. Right. Well, I think I think management is more clear cut, as you talked about. You know, there's sort of a right or wrong way of doing things, and you can teach that really well. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think what's hard about leadership is it's messy. It's it's very dependent on the situation. It's very dependent on the people. It's very dependent on the organization and the culture and the you know the environment. So so it's it's hard to say if you want to be a good leader, you do this every time. Right, and, right, and it's going to work. You're right. That's why you know in the in the book that you had mentioned earlier that my my friend and I wrote. The importance, and, and based on all of our experience, so you had to combine you know, my 40 plus his 40, if my math is correct, that's about 80 years of not just leading, but paying attention while following, paying attention while trying to be a good teammate, and then also paying attention when we had the opportunity to lead Sometimes successfully, sometimes not always, but even learning from your your mistakes. But that's how you develop as a leader is by uh, paying attention along the way. And yeah, it's measurable because there are absolutely some measurements that you can look at into, am I doing this effectively? Are people engaged? Is performance improving? Are we communicating well? What's the level of energy and morale on the team? There, there are some real good indicators. But what we started with was simple, simple concepts. And then you apply it in a complex world. And one of the things, I guess, my life has sort of been a leadership journey, which is what we, we talk about in the book is, okay, what works here? What works in, you know, in the Marine Corps? What works in the in a civilian law firm and and my my buddy John Buford Dr Buford is you know what works in academia what works in outdoor leadership situations now what works in the nonprofit sector a mission focus with a servant leader approach building your relationship with your teammates keeping the mission aligned is the beginning Sort of the alpha and omega of leadership. It's not really situation. Situations change. But what you find is if you ask yourself that question, the what's my best and highest role? And it may be, right now I need to get out of the way. They've got this. I'm the problem. Right. Too much of me. You know? Right. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. We got it. A little too much of you right now. Please, you know, go do something else. And you're always looking, always challenging yourself not to have the right answer, but maybe you need to ask them, hey, team, what do you need from me? You know, or your daughter or her son, hey, what do you need from me right now? Dad, I just need some time. Roger that. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll back off. Or dad, tell me that story. Or dad, I don't know what to do. Show me. I don't understand. I need to be, I need to learn. I need to, to be taught. There's an so if you engage and you build that trust and relationship with the people that you have the opportunity to influence, now you've got a chance to get to the real stuff. Right. You, so your book on mission with Dr. John Buford came out a couple years ago now? Yeah, August of 22. Okay, so about a year, mm-hmm. just over a year now. What what inspired you to write that mm. book? I mean, there are a lot of other leadership books out there, uh, but you know, I've had a chance to read it and think there's a lot of really good uh, information. And and also, it's sort of a um, it's almost like a work uh, because throughout you encourage you know journaling and writing mm-hmm. things down, and so it's it's really sort of a guide that is probably more engaging than just you know, passive book reading. But what, what, what kind of inspired you to put that together? Again, simple answer to that question. John and I stayed in contact. So we basically grew up together. We were best buddies from third grade on, played high school football together. We both end up at the basic school in Quantico uh, at about the same time. And, and then we served on active duty in the Marine Corps. John stayed a little longer. But over the years, we stayed in touch. And we would whenever we would talk on the phone, 
it always, and this is one thing about the Marine Corps, there was never a day when I was on active duty that there wasn't a discussion or a mirror check or about leadership. Am I leading well? Am I, am I failing my Marines? Is, you were always getting feedback. There was, you were always striving to lead authentically. And so John and I talked about it all the time. When I, I left earlier, so I got to deliver reports to John from the, from the civilian world. John, here's my experience. And not all of them were, many were disappointing. There were a lot of situations where people had titles, high titles, impressive titles, chief executive officer, senior executive vice president of whatever. You know, they, boy, we're good at titles out here on the way. But the behavior and the actions and the perspective was missing, the leadership side. And then John left. He stayed in a little bit longer. John left the Marine Corps and went into the academic world, and we just kept talking about this. And finally, about 10 years ago, and maybe that's hubris, I don't know, but he has a PhD, and I've got an LLM, and, and we both had a lot of experience, and we both said, what if we, you know, we can— right? Curse the darkness, or we can light a candle. And it was really that simple and with all humility. In fact, one of the things we're proud of in this, in this book is that there aren't a lot of big words. You can tell it was written by Marines with crayons. on. You know. <laughs> Small words, simplicity and concept, and there, I think there may be one footnote, and I'm not even sure why we did that. Literally, that's it. So we decided at, at an early point that even if no one read this book, we wanted to clarify really for ourselves so that we could lead better right. as a part of our journey, but possibly to provide someone with a baseline that they could then approach their life's journey and you know learning journey and that's how we you know there's never been a born leader it we all learn these are learned behaviors uh, values principles and so the idea was it was really as simple as that maybe we've got something to offer let's see what happens it took us years mm-hmm. to finalize this thing that's great well I- in that book, you can find anywhere Amazon. Yes. Uh, I know I've seen it at um, Audible. Mm-hmm. Get an Audible version. See it at uh, Barnes and Noble. Barnes and, and Noble. Uh, That's great. Wherever books are sold. One of the one of the stories I remember uh, reading about, and I can't remember if it was in the book or on social media, was like was a a letter your mother wrote oh, yes. to you, yes. and she sounds like she was just a a great leader. Will you talk about that later? Remar- yes, bit? absolutely. Yeah, and and I think it's a good, it's a good story because it reminds us that you don't have to be sort of otherworldly in order to lead well. My mother had many flaws, but she was also remarkable. And part of leading, I think, is to sense that leadership moment. We don't always have to. I don't walk around say, oh, "I'm going to go lead the person at the." The bagging groceries. I'm going to go lead them. They need leadership. I'm not walking around leading people all the time. It's that leadership moment. So my mother, who of course knew me well, she had raised me. I'm now 18 years old. I'm just. I'm enduring the most trying, extended challenge in my life up till then, which was plebe summer at the Naval Academy. Very challenging, and uh, I was. I remember we finally got a, you know, you've got fifteen minutes, <laughs> use ten. So we got finally got to the phone bank you know, back when there were phones, and you, so we're in there. And I called home, and I was trying to be all courageous and stoic, and you know, everything's well, the food's great, getting plenty of sleep, <laughs> love it here, you know, with my mom, and uh, she could, she just saw right through it. So again, seeing the leadership moment, and we don't always think about leadership at home or among our family. Or, but my mother sat down and wrote a one-page letter, and sent it to me. I still have the original, and all she did in that letter was give me perspective. She she didn't say because I may have said 
during our conversation, I may have said something like, yeah, I'm not sure I made the right decision. <laughs> this is hard. They're being mean to us, whatever. And so she gave me perspective. Here's what they're doing. Here's what's happening. Our society is not very good in, in helping uh, its youth make this step from childhood to adulthood. They are doing this in an intentional way. You have a chance to uh, walk away, the place, of, but I think you will not. So she sort of suggested maybe. And she didn't say, oh, honey, come on home. I'll make you a nice home cooked meal and and we'll have a you'll have a no stress life and it'll be okay everything and pat me on the head. She didn't coddle uh, nor did she call me an idiot and tell me I was being weak or so it was it was a loving sense of perspective about what they were putting me through what I was going through. And she told I remember she said, you know, told a couple of stories like in, in this one-page letter, uh, there was a tribe that she read about where they, they would put the horses, tie the horses uh, up in the you know, heat of the day and, and make them suffer so that they would develop the same level of character or a level of character as though the men who rode them. She talked, she mentioned Jesus going to uh, 40 days and 40 nights and uh, and he probably wanted the cup to pass and you know to live a live a comfortable life with his uh, his family and and friends but that wasn't the path the it was sort of the adversity builds character and ad, you are going through adversity right now and i remember her saying you know something along the lines my a slight disagreement with her on this, but she said the place of leadership is a lonely one. Some choose to turn aside. I think that you will not. And she said this, that one of our most important responsibilities in life is to develop our potential. Mm. I thought, wow, that is powerful. But I found the place, of my disagreement with my mom's comment about the place of leadership is a lonely one. I find it not to be lonely. I find that if you're engaging with the team around you, it's, it's not lonely. But it was, she put this one page to, to letter together and put love mom at the bottom and sent it to me. And I read that letter and... I never turned back. It just, it was like that key thing. And what an act of, leader, of leadership from a person who loved, who wasn't coddling or, or demeaning. It was done with love, and it was elevating and just inspired me. And I, I probably read it 2,000 times uh, yeah. over the course of my life. Yeah. yeah. One of your lines that I've heard you say many times when I've heard you speak, um, and you've mentioned it today too, is the question of what is my best and highest role? Mm -hmm. And if leaders are going to be successful, they have to be reflective. And so I think that's a really great line to encourage all leaders to ask themselves. And, and I've used that in coaching situations mm. and training and, you know, sometimes even like when people are going through a difficult time, like, you know, what's my best and highest role right now? Mm -hmm. And I, I think for the listeners today, that's, that's a powerful takeaway from just the time that we've spent together. Yeah, I think it's powerful. You know, the, one of the things I think we're seeing in society like never before is a, is a lot of reacting Stimulus response without thought sometimes. I mean, on my drive over here, I saw, and I saw it unfold as a, a car following another car really close, and then the front car zips over a lane, and the other guy's right behind him. And I thought, you know, that's a classic situation of emotions are governing, uh, and you've got, there's, there's, so, there's so many, so many stimuli out there in the world, and it's all coming at us, and we're just like bouncing around between one to the other. What's your position here or that? So the idea of calling a timeout, even if just momentary, taking a breath, 
thinking about what, how can I serve either this person or this situation or this shared in a, in a, in the direction of a shared mission. Uh, as my mom used to say, you know, boys go walk around the yard, uh, meaning, you know, take, take some deep breaths and now come back and we'll, we'll re-engage on this thing, uh, is just so powerful. And also with that question, you're kind of, you're interrupting the stimulus response sort of thing, and you're inviting maybe some divine guidance, I don't know. Maybe you're inviting input from the individual you're, you're seeking to influence. Uh, maybe you just need some time to, maybe you need to go talk to a mentor uh, or, you know, a coach. And then you're going to come back in and perhaps in, engage in, in a new way, and you're going to pay attention to the results. And you get this continuous feedback loop that, you know, the OODA loop, right, is uh, as the pilots describe it, where you're, you're looking at the situation feedback and, and what's the reality of what I've accomplished. And you just continue to work that with humility, knowing you don't have all the answers. You're not going to beat yourself up. If you get it wrong and nobody dies, you're, you're good to go and you can re-engage. If apologies need to be issued, then go say, hey, here's what I thought. I'm sorry. This is what I was trying to accomplish. You stay engaged in that relationship with your teammates, uh, with a mission focus. You will. That is the place to be. Mm-hmm. At the bottom, looking up is the most powerful place to be. And uh, it just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it works. Mm-hmm. Great. You, having just retired couple years ago, recently moved into a role as executive director of the Evansville Wartime Museum. You probably have plenty of other things that you'd like to accomplish or maybe maybe lay low or you, you probably are in a position financially you don't need to work anymore. But I'm curious what, what it was about that opportunity that really inspired you to to say yes to, in, in some ways, almost a, it's not quite a startup, but mm-hmm. it's a fairly young museum in, in our community that's uh, kind of uh, off and running yes. now. But tell us about your, your experience and what great, attracted you. Great question. Yeah. I, th- I think that, first of all, after about a year and a half of being retired, you can only mow your lawn so many times and watch so many documentaries on on uh, YouTube and and you know you try to get your reading going the the book had been published my uh, um, co-author and I had had some training events that we'd done and and I had done some speaking and so I kind of got a sense about what that was all about and I think a part of it was I felt a li- little bit uniquely situated to take on that opportunity just because of my military background and you know I'd been kind of doing the leadership thing for a while and I'd been in an organization and what happens I think at some point in your life you decide I will only move in the direction of a meaningful mission this the story of Evansville and its history, especially leading into and during and coming out of World War II, is just the classic story of America under stress and pressure. I think it is a... So being... Once I went and kind of met some of the people involved, and I thought, wow, maybe I can... They're at this point, yeah, almost in startup mode. I mean, they're you know there there is some low hanging fruit but but the the story is so compelling and i had grown up in gibson county where you've got why is there an emgi a huge emgi meat packing plant that used to be you know cover acres right here in gibson county well that was they had the the contract in world war 2 to supply meat to to troops and you know you you've got these these 
things that happen are, what is that building? What was this? Why are, you know, anchor, plastics, whirlpool plant was not always the whirlpool plant. And so I knew little pieces of the story. And I guess I'm kind of a historian at, at heart. And I just thought, wow, this is going to be hard to say no to. I don't think it's going to be easy, but a worthwhile mission, that's what I tried to align with. So I guess I was a little bit ready to come off the, put me in coach, come off the <laughs> sidelines. I think you're the perfect person uh, oh, for thank that role. You. And uh, Evansville really has an extraordinary history with, with World War II. One of the things I, I want to come out and, and get a ride in the Sherman tank. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a, a neat element and such a creative fundraiser too. That you can you can pay and get a ride in a in a tank, and you can read all the books. You can watch you know Brad Pitt lead a tank crew right in that whatever that movie was. Uh, you but until you are <laughs> peeking your head up over the over the, I mean it is a my goodness it is both humbling and exciting and f- frightening in that you're sort of putting yourself in the in the the shoes of uh, a young man who knows that you know rounds are being fired in their direction, that is a, it is a yeah, there's nothing like it. Yeah, it's it's a, and same with the, you know we brought out a, a Huey helicopter and and go. So one of the things I love about what we do there, this isn't a static display of you know this is an active uh, experiential trip down either memory lane, if you were once there, or to understand the realities of, of those who, you know, sometimes are fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers. And so it's it's been a fun, that's a fun, exciting part of, of what we do. Yeah. 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 One of the first times I got acquainted with you was through your TEDx. Mm. So for our listeners, Sean was involved with a, a TEDx talk, and I think it is it called the authentic leadership. Yes, I think it was the the something along those lines. Gosh, I've even forgotten. It's been a been a few a few uh, years now. Maybe the I, the heart of authentic leadership. Yeah, the heart of yeah. that's right. You have such a great it, it's such a great story. I hope mm. our listeners will check it out. And can you talk about that, that sure. story? And, and happy to. And I think that that line of my best and highest role, right, remarkable, uh, resonates with that. Yeah. So the the story I tell, and if you know, not to kind of ruin the the punchline, if you so spoiler alert, if you want to watch it, uh, there's a little bit of a surprise in there, but it's it is the story that happened well after I'd left the Marine Corps. I was at Shoe Carmel and. And uh, it's a story about my daughter who had just learned how to drive, 16 years old. And, uh, you know, of course, I had been a part, like, all good good dads, you know, let's go, honey, I'll teach you how to drive like you're supposed to drive. And so I'd done my part. But she'd only been driving for about three weeks or so. And she got up one morning to, to go to cheer practice, uh, Castle High School, and... Uh, I didn't. I wasn't awake when she left, and and I hear the dog starts barking, and there's a very loud, pretty intense knock on our front door, and I go to the door, and uh, it's the county sheriff, and he said, uh, "You need to, you need to come, come with me. What's going on?" Your daughter has uh, been in a, an accident. Is she alive? Uh, I can't really answer that now. What the heck does that mean? Anyway, Peyton had uh, had driven, had come to a stop at an intersection and had pulled in front of, she just didn't see it, this big 18-wheeler coal truck, fully loaded, uh, didn't see it coming around the curve and just hit her directly, just directly on the driver's side. And uh, so Peyton had uh, a break at C1. So her neck was broken at the highest level, which is usually fatal. Uh, Broken jaw, 
shattered uh, hips, rib, broken tibia, fibula, femur, just, I mean, she was virtually dead, pinned against the passenger side of the, the vehicle when they came to rest. And people I don't even know, volunteers, many of them, came together at the scene, first responders, ambulance crew, uh, you know, volunteer firefighters, and they made decisions and took action that ended up putting her in a place where she had the ability to live so that she could go and sustain an eight-hour surgery that was likely not to succeed. And one of the, he talked about uh, uh, what's my best and highest role. So after this happened and Peyton survived, and I had nothing but gratitude in my heart for these people who then just disappeared back into the fabric of our community. I thought, no way, not on my watch. I found out like a bull in a china shop who who every single person was. And I tracked them down and met them and interviewed them, you know, just talked to them. Well, one of the individuals there that morning, by the way, Peyton survived the surgery and and this young lady went on and and with a lot of help from a lot of people. She was at every football game that fall. She was she graduated with her class, uh, and she went on to college, and she's now working up in Indianapolis, and it's just unbelievable. But the deputy sheriff there that day, as they're standing around this vehicle, and they've got to tend to the injuries of the driver, and then my daughter is just absolutely, I mean, she's literally on the verge of, of death, is they couldn't figure out how to get her out in a timely fashion. Jaws of life would have taken 45, 30 to 45 minutes. So he, and so I interviewed him and I said, well, what, what did you do? And he said, well, first I asked myself the same question I ask myself at every, every time I'm called to, to a scene, whether it's a traffic accident or a, you know, whatever it is, what's that question? What's my best and highest role? Now, he didn't know I was we were writing this book. He didn't know that that was the key servant leader question. He hadn't that was his question. And I said, "What did what was the answer that came back to you?" He said, "We needed everyone standing around the vehicle. We didn't have enough perspective on how her body was situated and caught within the vehicle. We needed a better perspective." He said, "I immediately jumped up on the hood of the car." and looked down in through the sunroof, and I could see how her body was situated and how her legs were crossed in a very small opening that still existed on the driver's side. Her, her feet and legs were crossed. And he said, I knew that your daughter was going to die if we could not figure out how to move her legs out of that side. So he said, I reached down, I pulled on one of her shoelaces. He said, if your daughter would have double knotted her shoelaces that morning, we wouldn't be here right now talking about her. I reached down, pulled a shoelace, it came untied, loosened her foot, raised her leg, other, other shoe, foot, leg, broke the back glass. We were able to pull her out. We called off the life flight helicopter that was on its way to the scene, put her in the ambulance. They took her to, to Evansville, and then she was ultimately life flighted to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. After Peyton survived and I met these people, I reflected, as, as I often do, wow, leadership, how did they save her life? And it was, they were the same things. A team that was mission, the mission was clear. They weren't there to check the temperature, the ambient temperature of the roadway that day. They were there to try to save her life. They worked as a team. They were, they were selected and, and trained, and they had equipment that they needed, and they were staffed to, to be there and to do that job. 
Uh, they were selfless. Nobody was saying, hey, guess what I can do? You know, the sh- deputy sheriff didn't say, I've got the best idea, right? Shared leadership. There was not the, the president of uh, the hospital wasn't there. The uh, sheriff wasn't there because he was at our house taking us, you know, telling us the news. The police, you know, head, chief of police wasn't there. These were, it wasn't about rank. Nobody was standing around waiting for orders. They were coming up with ideas and, and, and they, they knew their stuff. And they were, well, what if we tried this? And they were throwing, they were problem solving. And then you have these acts of initiative, like the, the sheriff deputy who, you know, it was the mission focus. Leadership was the responsibility of all. Uh, selflessness. And one of the things that I, and I, I don't, I didn't make this phrase up, but the audacity of belief. When I interviewed these guys, all of the men and women, there was a, a, a female uh, police officer who was there at the scene as well. To a person, to a person, and it was hard for them to say this to, you know, Peyton's father, but they said, she was gone. There's no way she will survive the ride to Evansville, to the hospital. She is gone. But they acted as if and as though and moved in a way that, that she would live. They were going to bring her, if not back to life, they were going to keep that door from closing. Nobody sort of put up their hands and said, yeah, it's too late. She's a goner. Let's clean up. And, you know, why are we stressing ourselves out? Uh, the audacity of belief, not on my watch. And what, what you see in the best of teams is they have this sense of give me an opening. Give me an opening. And we are going to figure out, we are going to drive a, <laughs> we're going to drive a, uh, a spike right through that and open that opening up and give me a millimeter of an, a split second chance and there's a chance for success and that's where we're going. They moved as if and as though uh, they could keep her alive and they were correct. So you have this audacity of belief. You have servant leadership. You have a clear mission focus. Uh, you, you've got all of the, and self, you've got all of the elements. So I reflected back on that. And, and that was the, it was absolutely in line with the things I learned, uh, about leading teams and, and being on great teams, uh, through the Marine Corps and otherwise. And so then I had to ask myself, here's kind of the final point. So, all right, fine, Sean, really interesting. Well, now let's come back to, okay, well, what about you as a leader? Well, I, I had failed. I had failed to teach her well. I, had, I didn't keep the truck from hitting her. I couldn't do the surgery. But as a servant leader, my, what I, there was one thing I could do. What's my best and highest role? So I asked myself that question. I could recognize them, could meet them, hear their stories, hug them, uh, and I could say thank you, and if there were ways to publicly recognize, we were going to do it. And so I just went on. That was my mission, went on this campaign. And that's why I did the TED Talk to thank them. Next week, I'm going to Atlanta, Georgia, to Cherokee uh, Fire Department. It's, they're having their 50th uh, anniversary as a fire department. It's kind of the bedroom community for Atlanta. And I'm going to go there, and I'm not going to get a dollar for it, but I'm going to go there, and I'm going to say thank you to them, and I'm going to tell them this story. And I will never be able to express enough gratitude. So, I'm glad this isn't video. I, I get choked up when I, when I hear that story. It's just a really uh, powerful story. It could have turned out so, so differently. Um. Yeah, it's that audacity of belief. And sometimes I think as a leader, what we can do is help people really believe that what's possible. Yeah. And we can align people with mission and feel that what they do is important and 
and and what's Work possible towards. in them too. Yeah, you know, what their potential are yeah. is. Uh, yeah, no question. You know, Napoleon uh, once is evidently said, uh, "A leader is a dealer in hope." It's got to be real, right? So you can't be going around, uh, you know. Let's, you know, here's, you know, it's it's not about being silly or somehow ungrounded. But by God, there is this higher level of of real performance. There are these opportunities for success that may seem distant and impossible. But boy, if you've, you're absolutely right. It can make a huge difference in the way a team, you know, the way they were communicating, problem solving. Uh, just powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a great, great talk today, Thank Sean. you. Thank you. I appreciate um, you. Tell our listeners how they can find out more about you, about your book, about maybe speaking. You bet. If you want to engage on a more frequent basis, uh, come join me on LinkedIn. It's my one and only sort of social media outlet, but I do a lot of communicating about, about leadership and engaging with folks. Uh, the book is available, of course, uh, you know, wherever books are sold, as they say, but uh, definitely Amazon, and there's the Audible version. Uh, you can find out, just reach out to, reach out to me at uh, onmissionleaders.com. We have a, uh, uh, there's some information about my co-author and I and about our uh, leadership practices. Uh, I'm in the phone book. Um, easily found, uh, and uh, I actually answer my phone. Come visit us out at the museum, Evansville Wartime Museum, and yeah, you know, still do some do some coaching and uh, love love the uh, speaking and and telling the story about uh, what I think is essential about authentic leadership. So appreciate well, it. Well, thanks again, Sean. Really appreciate you being. Uh, on the podcast today just a great so many great stories and and pieces of wisdom and uh, thanks for all you do to learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel group please visit T.A. Dickel.com thank you for joining us